It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Today was about the maximum you can lay this down. It's going to take almost four years to get it done. Uh, so this is a much more practical solution, one that the military uses when, you know, you deploy troops. You can't wait for four years to get yes. the compound <laughs> with, with secure. they got to have it secured tomorrow. Yes. Well, this is yes. the solution. It's a smart fence. It's a, a smart barrier. It can be moved. It can be redeployed. Uh, if we ever didn't need the wall at all, it could be um, disassembled and used in other parts of the world or in crowd control, rock concerts, and the like in the United States. I think it's a really ideal solution, and if you watch the videos, or the audience watches the videos on the Internet, on the YouTube, you will see just how effective I think this solution, the TerraBlock solution, will be on the border. We have got a great guest with us today. Dr. Corsi is with us, uh, the author of Minutemen, The Battle to Secure America's Borders. You can find it on Amazon. It is an amazing read. And uh, we also have with us today our co-host, I.Q. Rizzoli, the best-selling author, and, of course, Dan Perkins, syndicated columnist and best-selling author as well. Um, Dan, I-, I know you've been wanting to talk with Dr. Corsi for a while. I know you've probably got some questions. Go ahead and jump in there, Dan. Yeah, I... I'm- about, about the technology of the blocks, um, I guess the question I would ask, it, it sounds like it's difficult to scale, but is it hard to take down? Uh, you can't get over the top of it, really. And, I mean, any barrier, you know, the Great Wall of China, you can find a way to, it, it's hardening the target. Now, this is a smart barrier, so it's got this perimeter defense electronic system that can be built right into it. So even if you try to dig under it, the vibrations are going to uh, be noticed. This is a way to really uh, kind of take modern technology. You know, the, all the it, It's made of steel, but also has various kinds of synthetic materials in the wall itself, which make it hard to cut, make it hard to deconstruct, it absorbs impact. It can be designed to be anti-ballistic, so it's difficult to blow it up. That's especially important, of course, in combat zones. And I think, you know, the I like to point out to people that I, you know, started watching TV. I'm old enough to watch an old Philco black-and-white TV where the, about all you could see all day long was a test pattern. And now we're watching high-definition TV on our cell phones, and we're trying to introduce a modern military solution. We're not at war with Mexico, but this technology which works for the military to defend the military in combat zones, I think if you take a look at it on the Internet, you're going to be convinced that we'll have a solid application to secure an unsecure border. All those 1,350 miles in Texas, which are literally wide open, by Election Day and let Donald Trump fulfill a campaign promise. Has the um, has the the technology been used by the U.S. Department of Defense anywhere? Oh yeah, all over the world. 
In fact, this TerraBlock technology is used to protect power grids. If you take a look at the HESCO website, hesco.com backslash TerraBlock, you'll see it comes in different varieties. There's different components. You kind of mix and match how you put it together, which means you can adapt it to difficult terrain, which is in Texas, mountains and deserts, and even the Rio Grande, HESCO also create barriers in rivers for levees that may break or floods and can handle the <clears throat> Rio Grande for security reasons. So it's widely used. This is a, this is a well-developed, a GSA-approved, and a proven technology, these HESCO TerraBlocks. And nobody suggested it to the president for the wall in Mexico? No, and that's in fact, HESCO came to me, the, their GSA supplier, the company called Provengo and the family, this whole HESCO family, and asked me if I would you know, take on to uh, consult with them and to get the word out, because uh, what I've been doing since I wrote, co-authored Unfit for Command in 2004 with John O'Neill, the Swift Boat book with John Kerry, I've had any number of books and other ideas and campaigns and I've learned how I think to present public policy ideas in a way the American public can see them and HESCO was just frustrated Provengo was frustrated, they had this great solution and they couldn't get anybody to pay any attention to them because it's a little out of the box to take a military solution and apply it to the border but it works So Jim This is absolutely an amazing, amazing conversation today with Dr. Jerome Corsi. He joins us live. Yes, Dan, what what, what do you make of all this? I think that you need to facilitate a phone call with your guest and Pastor Paula White. That would be fantastic. (laughs) You need need to make that happen. There, there, Dr. Corsi, you you get direct access to her and through her directly to the president. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you arrange the call, and I'll be happy to do it anytime. (laughs) We, uh... Jim's had his own, had her on, her, on his show a number of times. So. Yeah, we. I will uh, reach out to Paula's PR people, and uh, I I know me and me and Dan talk to her on a regular basis. So yeah, we will uh, see what we can do. That would be uh, fantastic. We've got Dr. Jerome Corsi with us today, investigative journalist, senior staff writer for several conservative websites. Corsi is the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Unfit for Command, also New York Times bestseller. The Abomination, a bestseller, Killing the Deep State, The Fight to Save President Trump. His latest book is Silent No More, How I Became a Political Prisoner of Mueller's Witch Hunt. And uh, yeah. now, Dr. Corsi, um, give us give us your breakdown of these impeachment hearings. I know me, Dan, and IQ have some questions for you on that end. Well, I've been watching them all day and, of course, last week, and uh, I don't see that Schiff has a case. And... The two gentlemen who are testifying right now, this is one of them is Volcker, who is State Department, and this Tim Morrison, who is NSC, National Security Council, just made it clear that they don't think there was a quid pro quo, that Donald Trump was worried about Ukraine being corrupt. I mean, if you know, (laughs) we sent $3 billion in aid to Ukraine. $1 billion under Obama. Donald Trump, in his first two years, sent a billion dollars each of the first two years. And it was stolen. It's gone. 
Uh, Ukraine stole the IMF money, probably about another $1.8 billion. And it looks like George Soros is in the middle of all this corruption in Ukraine. And I think legitimately Donald Trump said we, there's a new president in Ukraine, this Zelensky. He said, I don't want to send more money to another guy. What I've heard about Zelensky is he's surrounded by some bad people, and maybe he's as corrupt as the rest of them. Now, that's a legitimate concern. And we have a mutual legal assistance treaty that was signed under President Clinton with Ukraine. And I think it's legitimate to say, you know, to Zelensky, are you going to look into this Burisma? He didn't even mention Burisma. He said, well, the Biden corruption, because it's widely known. I mean, it's not a secret about the Biden corruption. In 2015, even Politico was writing about Burisma and the conclusion of the Biden family because Politico in Washington is a leftist publication and they wanted to have Hillary Clinton as the candidate in 2016. They were trying to knock out Joe Biden. I mean, there's no secret. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm, I'm actually floored, you know. It's okay for Joe Biden to go over to Ukraine and China and all these other places, get his son all these rich contracts, and make the, all this money for the family, and completely leveraging the family's name. Otherwise, it wouldn't be happening. But, but if Donald Trump dares to mention it, Donald Trump has to be impeached. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. That what the, the, the Democrats have called an artillery strike on their own position, and they've exposed the Biden corruption. The first casualty of this is not Donald Trump, it's Joe Biden. I would like to ask you, Dr. Corsi, um, as I've watched the hearings, um, one thing that has been very clear to me is that I... I thought the the players, the deep state players, were injustice in FBI. I'm now convinced that these people that have been coming in to testify are clearly upset that Donald Trump didn't do what they wanted to do, and they felt that they were in charge. We are looking at people who are the face, the real face of the deep state. They're no longer invisible. They're highly visible. And uh, I, I listen to these people. They're complaining about the fact that he's making decisions, that he's not taking their advice or not involving them. The, the lieutenant colonel today, I thought, did a terrible job in general. Um, but he did say that he thought that, that Hunter Biden was probably not qualified to serve on the board of Burisma. Um, and that, that's probably an understatement. But I think one of the telling things today, and uh, many, many, many decades ago, I had the opportunity, although I'm not sure it was an opportunity, but I had an opportunity to be called before the Senate Subcommittee on Pensions and Investments to give testimony um, to uh, staff and some congressmen and senators uh, about some things that were going on in the financial service industry. And I want to tell you, I had a lot of lawyers that I was, were talking to me, but when it came time for me to sit there at the table across from the, all these other people, I would have never done what this lieutenant colonel did to the ranking member of the of the Republican Party when he criticized Devin Nunes 
for not calling him Lieutenant Colonel. That is. I thought that was shocking. That was shocking. I I saw that moment. I thought I I couldn't believe it either. Such arrogance, and so what we're we're now we're now having a better, at least I am a better understanding that what's going on here is that the area that we have been misdirected away from, the State Department, is clearly deep, deep into this issue with Mr. Trump. And I've got a commentary that's out, out for review right now. And I'm basically saying, what if the president is reelected, and I think it will be a landslide, when he's reelected, he's got to do something about these these bureaucrats who are there that are against his policy. So I'm going to suggest that he he do a reduction in force and anybody who's got within 10 years of retirement, make sure they're fully funded and send them out the door and then go down younger and younger and begin to clean out uh, some of these people who are clearly, clearly, I mean, how in the world could... I and I have not seen anybody yet that answers the question. The, the evidence that you're presenting does it lead to an impeachable offense? And I haven't found anybody who said yes that's been testifying theoretically for the Democratic Party. So I've got this scenario that I've written about in a commentary that. I believe that the Democrats really do not want to take a vote on the impeachment because if they don't take a vote, I my scenario is the following. They finish the hearings. About a week to 10 days after the hearings, Nancy Pelosi says, standing with Mr. Schiff, we've decided that an impeachment trial would be too devastating for the country, and that we believe we have presented our case that the president should be impeached. We're not going to have a vote for impeachment. We want the American people to decide next November the outcome of whether or not Donald Trump should be reelected and reinstated as president. In so doing, they shut down the trial in the Senate, and all the people who would be called by the Republicans in the Senate will never have to testify, and Donald Trump will never get the forum that the Democrats have had with the hearings in the House. Well, your solution makes all too much sense. Uh, the, uh, a couple, I agree with everything you've said. Uh, the, uh, the bureaucrats and what, and it's not just state and FBI, it's every department, not just mm-hmm. the Department of Justice. In, environmental protection agencies on its own mission these bureaucrats are there for life. They think they're in charge of the laws and the policy. Uh, they want the president impeached because he didn't listen to them. Uh, and my solution, I, I guess, you know, I've, I've done this for decades in Washington. My dad was a bit of a lobbyist. But, you know, he worked for the labor unions. And even as a kid, I grew up in a Democratic family. And what, I saw Washington going back decades, more decades than I like to remember. At any rate... I, I have a different solution. My only, I, with the solution because of all the civil service and the, the special category of SES that Carter created, these special bureaucrats that can't be fired, 
I think what we need to do is we need, and there's no reason that I've read the Constitution. I don't see the State Department mentioned anywhere. Or the bureaucracy is not defined in the Constitution, and it doesn't have to be in Washington, D.C. So I want to move the State Department to the Aleutian Islands. I want to move the Department of Justice and the FBI to the uh, Mojave Desert. I'd like to move the IRS down to uh, McAllen, Texas. You can fry eggs down there in the summer on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to move the EPA to Dalhart, Texas, in the panhandle right by the feedlot and see how many of these Georgetown bureaucrats want to relocate. It's a great right. way to get them all fired. And I see that Donald Trump is already moving some of the departments. The Department of Interior is beginning to move departments out of Washington. It's the only way to get rid of these bureaucrats. And I agree with you. The last two days, this day of hearings and last week, uh, you, you've got the deep state on parade. Right. Uh, again, I think that's second consequence of this. Joe Biden's career, I think, is now finished in disgrace, and he needs to be investigated for criminal activity as does does his son. Mm -hmm. And secondly, uh, deep state, we need to break up this bureaucracy, even if it includes moving it all out of Washington, D.C. Probably also improve beltway traffic. Yeah. And and I think the third casualty is the Democratic Party, because while I don't think they're going to take your reasonable solution, is I think the Democrats with this Trump derangement syndrome have now advanced fully off the cliff into socialism. The Democratic Party, as I knew it when I grew up as a kid, John Kennedy and Hubert Humphrey and Ed Muskie, that's dead. Mm-hmm. It's, control, it's in the control of AOC and the, and the socialists and the communists, and right. they are not going to stop until they have an impeachment hearing and run somebody from president who's going to do about as well as George McGovern did in 1972. There you go. That's there you go. So one one other thing I wanted to say to you, uh, I, I have a reputation when I write commentary, I put some kind of a twist at the back end of the commentary. Here's the twist, right. what I just told you about. So the, the Democrats are not going to call for an impeachment vote because they don't want to give the president the ability to have a trial in the Senate where much of what's being done will be undone. So they're not going to have an impeachment vote. Now, this is going to seem way out of line to you, but but just follow me. Therefore, you need 217 votes for an impeachment, simple majority. The Democrats, excuse me, the Republicans need approximately 30 Democrats to create the majority. I'm suggesting that the Republicans put on the floor a bill of impeachment and they get 30 Democrats to join them and the president gets his trial. Well, that's an interesting twist. Uh, that's a very interesting twist. I mean, <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's it's brilliant, but, you know, I'm not sure it's going to carry in Washington. I think we're going to have... Probably not. I I mean, mean, I, it's a brilliant idea. Uh, I had not thought of it. But the... Um, you can use you know, it. <laughs> the, well, you know, the, the idea is, to me is that what's going to happen is that 
it, these Democrats, I've watched these AOC and the others, and Elizabeth Warren. I mean, when they start talking about mother has the right to kill a baby who's born and living, and you just put it in comfort, and then you kill the baby. I mean, I just, I don't know where these people come from. Right. You know, I, I, I just don't, I can't comprehend uh, their mentality. The socialism is like, it's like a virus of malware in the brain. I mean, it's like a computer program that gets in these brains, and, and they can't reason, they can't think. Right. I mean, why would you kill? Why would and, and the other? You know, no border at all. I mean, we've I've sponsored my family and I have sponsored families from El Salvador to come here and escape the violence and live in America. But legally, why mm-hmm. would you leave a border wide open for drug cartels, for criminals, gangs? You know, this El Salvadorian MS-13 gang, which is, uh, it, it makes no sense at all right. how you could ever advocate these policies. And, you know, the, it, it, it's, the idea that they could say that it was Trump who ought to be impeached and, and make the issue Biden's son and Burisma and say there's, like, Baghdad Bob, there's nothing to see here. It's perfectly okay for Baghdad, you know, for Bob to, you know, <laughs> for... Hunter Biden to go into this corrupt company, make all this money, steal all this aid. Uh, the average person knows I don't. That's just not right. I don't care what the laws are. It's just not right. Yeah, and, and it let, can't, me, let me. It can't. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Let me finish. No, no, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I just think that these Democrats are now uh, on a suicide mission, and the third big casualty, first casualty, I think, is Biden. Second casualty is the deep state. I think it's finally American people are not asking me anymore. And I wrote the book Killing the Deep State. They're not asking me to define the deep state. I haven't had a single radio interview in this round that anybody's asked me to tell them what the, the deep state is. They all know. I see it and on third, television. I think the Democratic, Democratic, you see it on television. And third, the Democratic Party, I think, as we used to know it, is dead. It's gone. Yeah. That, these are Democrat socialists. Let me let me share with you uh, uh, something I saw last night, real quick, and that is, um, I have done uh, this talk radio for a number of years, and I have a, a a special place in my heart for some black talk show hosts. In fact, there's one gentleman in Chicago where we we talked about being brothers from different mothers, and um, and last night I saw a report of the support in the black community, the Democratic black community in South Carolina, which is 60% of the Democratic vote, the black community polling data as support for Mayor Pete was zero. Right. Zero. So the idea that the, that the Democratic Party would think that, that the black community is so progressive that they would give up their their religious values and vote for a gay man for president, they are forcing the black community to the Republican Party. Well, yeah, and, and Buttigieg is absolutely unknown. I mean, he's um, what, is a mayor somewhere. I mean, you know, South Bend. He can't South Bend. I mean, look, it's just ridiculous that they think he they can be propelled on the national. And Bloomberg, I barely won, you know, his third election. I know New York. I've been in New York for decades. We live right outside of New York and New Jersey. I'm in New York all the time. Five years. 
I lived 35 years in that outside of New York. Yeah. And, and, you know, Bloomberg, talking about the big gulp and the things he was interested in, you know, trying to uh, eliminate plastic straws. I mean, this guy is not going to play across America. I, I don't think, back to you know, Fiero LaGuardia, no New Yorker has ever come out of New York City and Johnny Walker or Lindsay or any of them that thought they could do it, none of them have made it on the national stage as president. Right. And, and de Blasio, look at how de Blasio did. It's terrible. Nobody, mm-hmm. yeah, some of these Democrats are going to poll at zero. And Elizabeth Warren, uh, after all her stuff with the, uh, you know, the American Indian heritage and the stuff about pregnancy and she got fired and all the lies she's told about herself. And then, she looks like some angry school mom. Every time I see her, I think I'm going to get hit by a ruler with a, you know, <laughs> a teacher from the third grade. Yes, yes, I agree. I think that uh, I also think that I've done a little math. If you look at her, uh, if you look at her tax proposals to pay for the Medicare for all the fifty-seven trillion dollars, if you add up all the money that she wants to tax the the wealthy. That's $968 billion. She's about $56.3 trillion short. Where is it going to well, go? You know, I, well, they're just going to print up a billion dollars for everybody and give it to them, and then they're going to tax it away. Here's a new bill. It says a billion dollars. You're a billionaire. Congratulations. Here's your tax bill. It's a billion dollars. Send it back to us. All right. So what do you, what do you, in the time that we have left, we've got about 10 minutes. um, What do you think, what do you, who do you think is the likely candidate of the Democrats? Oh, I I think it's going to be Elizabeth Warren, just like I thought it was going to be McGovern in 72. She, they kind of, you know, the Democrat party, when they get into this kind of a suicide uh, routine, they're going to give it to the one they think kind of deserves it the most. And she's the one who's been out there and she, you know, it, it, Bernie Sanders is not going to get it. He made too much money and his chance was in 2016. It passed him by. So now it's her chance. And I think they'll just ultimately give it to her. The primaries always have the more activist and radical members of each party vote. So when they run these, first of all, the, the polls are rigged because they oversample Democrats and they right. ask the questions in a way to get the result they want. So forget about the right. polls anymore. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you if we take a real honest evaluation of where Democrats are, they're not the at this extreme communist socialist mentality. But those are who are going to vote in the primaries, and so I think it'll go to Elizabeth Warren. So it'll be a disaster. About- what do you think about Go the black, ex-black governor of Massachusetts, Patrick, coming in over the weekend? Well, it's too late. Um, you know, he is a guy who is really never made it on the national stage. He's really, he should, he doesn't want to get beat up the way he's going to get beat up uh, in the national politics and the presidential level. Uh, he should enjoy his notoriety, got a very comfortable life in Boston, he is a celebrity in Boston, and he, you know, is one of those, uh, I guess, kind of a 
protege, if it were, although he preceded Obama as governor mm-hmm. of Massachusetts. He's kind of, he was one of the first to have that kind of distinction. Obama had a charisma. I mean, I, I tried desperately to tell people when I wrote Abomination in 2008 that he was, had been raised in Islam. I, I don't know if he has any religion at all. I don't, I've never seen any indication he really believes in God. Uh, he um, was a socialist. He was trained by Frank Marshall Davis in Hawaii, his mentor, communist from Chicago in the 30s, newspaper columnist. And um, and he was in a Saul Alinsky organization, Obama, in Chicago. So he was a radical, and I knew he was a radical when he came on the scene. But he convinced people that he, you know, that speech he gave in the Democratic Convention, I guess 2004, when he said, we're not black America, we're not white America. Well, he's glib. He's got the mojo. Mm-hmm. But um, but it's not the same for, you know, this, the governor of Massachusetts. He doesn't have the same presence or charisma. He's not mm-hmm. going to make it. Um, I, I don't see any of the others who really have a chance in the Democratic Party. and uh, I don't think that Hillary is going to run. I think Hillary, I think if he took a sanatorium and he put a, a replica of the Oval Office in it, she'd go into the nuthouse and think she was president. <laughs> I think she's absolutely delusional at this point. And, right. and I, don't think that, I don't think the Obamas want Michelle to run because, again, uh, you know, even the speech that Obama gave this past week when he said the Democrats should be moderate, he got all beat up for giving that speech. Right. And they don't think they want to be under the scrutiny. They've made millions of dollars. I mean, look, right. buying a $15 million house on Marsha's Vineyard, he doesn't want to be under the scrutiny like Biden is. Just take your million dollars and go away. I think that's the solution right. for Michelle. Well, um, my dear friend, Mr. IQ Arizoli, I, I apologize profusely for hogging so much of the show. We got a little bit of time left. Did you want to ask our guest anything? Yes. I wanted, I wanted to mention something. And correct me if I'm wrong. That according to the Constitution, and for the last 240 years, it is the President and Commander-in-Chief who gets to set U.S. foreign policy, not some diplomat at state who serves at the pleasure of the President. Also, the FBI Director also serves at the pleasure of the President. Am I wrong? No. You are 100% right. The Article 2 specifies in the Constitution that foreign policy is the purview of the President of the United States, and it puts no limitations on how the President may direct foreign policy whatsoever. The President's the sole authority. The State Department is not in the Constitution, neither is the bureaucracy. We don't need it. It's a fourth branch of government, and I, I basically want to get rid of it. But my question to you now is, what is this charade for? This is circus. What is it for? He is the Commander-in-Chief, he is the President, and those his underlings are undermining him, they're treasonous. End of conversation. What, what is the problem by firing them? Why shouldn't he fire all of them? Well, if I were a superior commander, this lieutenant com- commander, or colonel, lieutenant colonel Bidman, first thing I'd do is uh, cite him for insubordination and court-martial him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a foreigner, I'm outside the country, I'm over the pond, and I can figure it out. How is it possible that nobody in, in Congress has figured it out? He should be court-martialed. Well, in fact, in fact, uh, Andrew McCarthy, former U.S. Assistant 
prosecutor wrote an article in New York Post today and said exactly what you said. And I've been tweeting it all day long on, you know, at Jerome underscore Corsi. I, uh, these are, these people are uh, sanctimonious, self-important, and they are offended because President Trump had a foreign policy different than they did, but somebody ought to inform them that they're not in charge of foreign policy. They're there to serve the president and to uh, put into effect the president's foreign policy. They're all insubordinate and or treasonous or seditious. And uh, I, wanted, I think the whole bunch of them ought to be moved out of Washington and given a chance to relocate and their careers. I also would like to put term limits on the bureaucracy. You can serve five years in the bureaucracy, then you've got to go get a job. And if you leave the bureaucracy, you can't work in another department, and you can't work for can't a defense go. contractor for five years. Yep, that's right. And you'll only get one shot at it. You're in the bureaucracy for five years. That's it. You don't get to double up a second term after you've been out for a while. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yes. I think that these are things that Donald Trump is probably going to try. If he gets reelected, which I believe he will, that's when you'll see him take the government apart. Because well, I just pray. I, I pray to God that he does get a second term. And, uh, you know, I, I resisted Mueller and got out of it. I would not swear before God to a crime I didn't commit. I told him to take a hike. And I think I see in Donald Trump, I've you know, known him in New York, not well, but I've known him for 40 years. And I, I think Donald Trump is more religious today. God has come more into his life today than I've ever seen before. And I think he's taking seriously the responsibilities he has to, you know, as Abraham Lincoln said, this time around is our last best hope to preserve the Constitution and God in America. Because if these communists take over the Democratic Party, uh, we'll all be in Mao thought reform prisons because we believe in God, we believe in the Constitution, and we won't easily give it up. Mm-hmm. Not going to happen. For sure, God is on well, the side. If, if you if you can help me get this word on this terror block out, uh, it makes so much sense, and we could we could prevent more people's lives from being lost on the border, and we have a solution here that will work and only cost a billion dollars. And encourage your listeners just just go watch the videos. They you show how this terror block is assembled, how you can run trucks and can't get through them, how it's electronically sophisticated. Um, it is a remarkable product that has to go a defense contractor. If it can protect our troops who are in combat zones and get them there quickly, so deployed, they leave their family, say goodbye, and deploy, and by the time they arrive, the camp is already waiting for them. That kind of capability is what we need on the border. I think you, you need to get Jim to put together a oh, I've, ar- I've already sent a uh, I've already sent an email to Paula and we're gonna try to we're gonna try to put something together for you dr. Corsi okay well let me you know I'll, I'll be able to you, you've got how to get to me and yes uh, I've got all to... your information we follow each other on Twitter I've, I've, I've got all the information my friend I, I do appreciate it okay then you just let me know and I'll be there whatever we need to do Definitely. Well, uh, Dr. Corsi, before we let you go, how do people find you online, get your books, everything else? Well, I'm doing daily podcasts uh, on decodes of the news on CorsiNation.com, which is my website, CorsiNation.com. 
And, uh, of course, at Jerome underscore Corsi. My books are all on Amazon. Uh, my new book coming out early next year is called Coup d'Etat, and it's subtitled Exposing the Deep State Traitors and the Plan to Reelect President Trump. And God willing, that's going to be what happens. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, Dan, before we let you go, bring us up to speed on how we get a hold of you, my friend. Um, DanPerkins.guru gets you to everything that Dan Perkins, including the website for Songs and Stories for Soldiers. There's On the Songs and Stories for Soldiers is a poster and some story about the uh, Sanibel Shoes for Homeless Veterans. And we uh, are starting that the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We already got 14 places, even all the way to Medford, Oregon, who are participating in the program so we're excited about that my books of course are also on amazon.com and commentary for the 20 or so different blogs are also on danperkins.guru fantastic well iq before we let you go how do we find you online and get involved with you my friend first i would like to thank dr corsi for coming on the show yes you have to do is google my name al rasuli a-l-r-a-s-s-o-l-i and you know more about islam than any imam on earth fantastic well thank you thanks everybody and uh we look forward to uh talking to dr corsi soon and uh iq and dan i will talk to you next week thank you guys thank you bye appreciate it everyone thank you all there goes dr jerome corsi iq al rizzoli Dan Perkins. Welcome back to our big broadcast here on iHeartRadio. Also, AMFM247.com. Tune in, iTunes. We have got a great guest with us today. Our good friend, Dr. Warren Farrell, is with us. He's the author of books published in 17 languages. They include two award-winning international bestsellers, Why Men Are the Way They Are, plus The Myth of Male Power. And Dr. Warren has been chosen by the Financial Times as one of the world's top 100 thought leaders. And Dr. Farrell joins us on the telephone today. How are you, Dr.? I'm doing very well. And yourself? Pretty good, actually. You are fantastic, and uh, I love having you on. Your your latest, The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling, What We Can Do About It. And uh, there there is a lot of, uh, of things going on. Um, one of the things that uh, I want to talk about is this Joker movie that recently uh, was out. Um, talk to us a little bit about how that... Uh, kind of stimulated some conversation with you and your colleagues. Yes, um, the Joker movie is really a classic example of what types of things create the boy crisis. And so, um, it, it, you know, if I were to give a headline to it, it's um, the Joker movie is about a boy who hurts and how the boy who hurts hurts us. And the boy crisis is about how boys are hurting and how the boys who are hurting are oftentimes acting out and hurting us, like the mass shooters are about 80% um, not only boys, but dad-deprived boys. The uh, ISIS recruits are about 90% not only uh, boys, but again, dad-deprived boys. Um, And then we have the, um, uh, also the prisoner population is about 93% male. And about, of that 93% male population, about 90% is uh, dad-deprived males. And so the Joker, um, was uh, we it seems like when we open up the um, the movie 
that he's been a wonderful caretaker for his mother for many years, which in fact he has been. His mother is very sick, and and um, he's taking care of her. But as we get into the movie, we discover that in fact um, he was brought up um, by uh, an adopted mother, uh, didn't know his biological father, uh, that he was um, uh, abused very severely by a boyfriend of the adopted mother, and that the um, and and that he developed characteristics as a result of. Um, uh, not knowing his father, not knowing his family, and being abused, and seeing his mother abused also, um, that and the mother standing by and watching him being abused without doing anything about it, um, that she, um, that he started developing uh, sort of a very strange laugh and defense mechanisms that um, made him stand out in a negative way uh, to his peers, and so he developed uh, a lot of characteristics that you know that that, that began a slippery slope of him feeling more and more down about himself and then eventually when he was hum- became so fragile that when he was humiliated um, by various people he had a deep-seated anger um, about the people who had humiliated uh, him and he sought to do damage to each of those people and so i don't want to give away too much of the story but that's you know, the, the core theme of the joker is really the core theme of so many of the boys that have been uh, felt felt hurt and excluded and left out of approval uh, by their peers and by parents and by others that started on a, a very poor foundation of not having that emotional security uh, combined with the uh, the discipline and the guidance uh, that a mother and father together tend to bring, especially a biological mother and father tend to bring uh, to a child. We have got a great guest with us today. Dr. Warren Farrell joins us here on the telephone talking a little bit about uh, his book, The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It and How It Kind of ties into this popular Joker movie. Um, I noticed that that during during that movie, there was a lot of themes that you've discussed on this show and other shows uh, many times in the past. Um, what 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 can be I guess learned from this movie? I think we can see that we really need to pay attention to the importance of family. Um, we we know we've had a no child left behind. Um, theme um, for many years that President Bush started, um, but really, there's you're going to leave children behind if there is. We really, we really should be having a no parent left behind uh, theme because if we want to leave no child behind, we have to leave no parent behind in raising the children. At least this is what uh, my research for the boy crisis really helped me discover. I didn't have this perspective when I first started uh, the research for the boy crisis, but and the more I saw um, in the 56 developed nations that I looked at uh, uh, where boys were failing, I saw that boys were failing for the most part in uh, when they were in two different uh, categories. They were either children of divorce, um, whose father uh, were, was minimally involved with them after divorce, and both the girls and the boys suffered in about 50 different areas, 50, 50 uh, plus different areas. Um, but the boys suffered more intensely. They were more likely to commit suicide, more likely to be depressed, um, more likely to get fat, more likely to become addicted to, um, to drugs, to video games, uh, to porn, to opioids, and, and more likely to die from drug overdoses, and more likely to do reckless behavior, and more likely to hurt others. So, 
you know, there's a, a great many people who, um, you know, we, we blame the boy, we, we blame mass shootings on, uh, on guns or mental health or uh, on bad family values, on violence in video games or in the, in the media. Um, but girls are exposed to the same violence in the media, uh, in the media violence in video games, um, pornography. Um, they come from the exact same homes as their brothers do, the exact same socioeconomic level. Um, they're at, they have the same access to the same guns, um, but the girls are not committing these crimes uh, of mass shooters. Uh, the boys are. And so we can get a sense, therefore, we think of boys as being strong, but in fact what we realize is that, what, or at least I came to realize uh, when I did the research for the boy crisis, that, the, that boys are in m- many ways a lot more emotionally vulnerable than girls. And boy, did I see that in so many different ways. Uh, when the Department of Housing and Urban Development moved boys and girls, families, poor families from poor areas to wealthier areas where they had better schools and um, with higher standards and better neighborhoods with better homes. And um, and the, the girls flourished. The boys were depressed when they lost the companionship of their old neighborhoods because they did not know how to process the depression. They did not know how to adjust emotionally and to, to work through their problems of adjustment in the new school. And so I, when boys and girls break up with each other after a relationship, a long relationship, uh, the boys um, carry out, they have more, more depression for a longer period of time, and they're more likely to be vulnerable to addiction and to suicide um, after the breakup of a, of a, a meaningful relationship to them than the girls are. Who The girls will talk it out with other girlfriends, talk it out with their parents, and they'll work it through uh, much more effectively uh, with much more emotional skills and social skills uh, than boys have learned to deal with. We have got a great guest with us today. The fantastic Dr. Warren Farrell joins us here in our broadcast. And uh, he has got the boy crisis, why our boys are struggling, what we can do about it. And uh, recently, this uh, new Joker movie out there uh, seems to be spotlighting some of the different things that Dr. Warren Farrell talks about. Um, what, why do you think that it is so hard nowadays to, to raise children, uh, more or less boys, uh, on, on this subject? Well, I think what we when we have the divorced families and the two areas that I found where boys were suffering the most was uh, the boys who were products of divorce, and so the bo- and then the other was the um, boys who were um, born to uh, single mothers who didn't have a father involved, and so um, uh, and when when that happens, and in the United States, forty percent of all children uh, who are born are born to um, moms. Um, that do not have a father involved, or, or when they, if they have, if they happen to live with the father when the child is born, the average length of time that the father is involved after the uh, the father and mother live together is only four years, and so when boys uh, either don't have a father involvement or don't um, or or feel their father has abandoned them either after divorce or after um, you know they've gotten four years of being. Uh, involved with their dads, uh, they feel abandoned, but they don't have, uh, the, the girl at least has a female role model, and, she, and the girl has more permission to express her feelings and work through uh, the stuff that's bothering her. The, um, as a result of that, the mother's more likely to be, you know, a same-sex role model who's, um, who's um, you know, um, giving her nurturance and support, whereas the boy oftentimes doesn't have the same social permission to express 
is the, the problems that are going on with him. He keeps it, he keeps it to himself. He hides behind a mask, um, and that becomes, and, the, and that becomes a volcano inside of himself, uh, where he feels that he's the wrong person and he's ashamed that he doesn't contribute and, uh, have as much success as his, as his male peers. And he has no, um, guidance from his father as to here's what it takes to be a man. And what it takes to be a man is not just dreaming that you can be a basketball player or, you know, an artist or a writer. Um, you've got to have the discipline to do those things effectively. And oftentimes fathers bring to the family table uh, the discipline, and mothers tend to bring more of the nurturance and the protection. And boys who are nurtured and protect well, protected well are oftentimes encouraged to pursue their dream of being a, you know, a football player or an actor or a musician, um, but they don't have the discipline to carry that out. And when a boy has a dream and that doesn't have the discipline to carry it out, what I found is that oftentimes those boys feel ashamed of themselves that they, you know, their mom, their mom thought they could do it, but they didn't have that discipline to do it. They got caught up in the next text and the next immediate gratification uh, phenomenon, and they then started feeling ashamed of themselves and fearful of dreaming a new dream because the last three times they've pursued a new dream, uh, they, they failed, and they didn't want to fail again. And after a while, they become afraid to dream. And that's when the slippery slope occurs of the boy withdrawing um, into video games, into addiction, into um, becoming angry, and in the worst-case scenarios, committing suicide, or in the super-worst-case scenarios, committing suicide and the homicide of mass shootings. We have got Dr. Warren Farrell with us today. Joins us live here on our big broadcast, and uh, so how, how do how do we fix some of this, my friend? Well, one of there's two ways. One is recognizing that um, it that children, especially boys, really tend to need their dads involved. If we know if we're talking about no child left behind, the best way to leave no child behind is to leave no parent behind, and so getting both parents involved in the process of raising children is the number one way. However, practically speaking, um, there, many moms feel that they're not aware of what dads contribute, and most dads don't know what they contribute. I think one of the last times I was on your show, um, we talked about how um, you know when, when moms, when dads um, do roughhousing, uh, they, the, the mom will just be fearful that the dad is being just one more child she has to monitor. And um, and so the the father doesn't get a chance to do the bond bonding that the roughhousing creates or the discipline um, of the child to not be roughhousing in an aggressive way, and so the child doesn't know how to handle himself in in physically um, challenging situations or in emotional situations, and so um, the child tends to be less effective at, at, at distinguishing being assertive from being aggressive or distinguishing um, being empathetic to his sister's or brother's needs to not be hurt in the process of, of roughhousing. And the children, uh, the children who do the roughhousing create that bond that allow them to pay attention to their dad's warnings um, more, but also the dad is more likely to say, to not keep repeating himself and saying, okay, I told you to be uh, better to your sister. Now, be better to your sister. Um, the dad will take something away from the children, like no more roughhousing. And the result of that is the child realizes that if they continue doing the, um, the, 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 the they continue not paying attention to their 
sisters or brothers need um, to be treated more gently than just you know, have an elbow stuck in their eyes, um, they, they then will they'll lose something. And when they're, the child is afraid of losing something, then they're more likely to pay attention to being considerate of somebody else's feelings besides their own, become more empathetic, become more assertive, less aggressive, um, become... Um, uh, tuned into the uh, and then have postponed gratification. That is, even though they want to shove their brother or sister out of the way, uh, they realize that if they're going to get what they really want, the roughhousing, uh, they better be. Uh, they better have postponed gratification and not just shove their brother and sister out of the way. And so all those things create postponed gratification. I need to focus on um, uh, on doing what I need to do, um, not be uh, cruel to my brother and sister in order to get what I want, uh, the roughhousing. Um, and so the, the, uh, the, those kids tend to learn how to have that postponed gratification, how to be assertive, not aggressive, how to be empathetic. And kids that are empathetic and assertive but not aggressive, those are kids that have more friends. They do better in school. They feel better about themselves. If they have postponed gratification, they succeed at almost everything they do. And, those, and, then, and they are more likely to become our future scholars, our future um, football players, basketball players, actors, uh, to do something well in school and in life. Um, and those, uh, those kids almost never become mass shooters. Well, Dr. Warren, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us. And uh, thanks for giving us some, uh, some real answers and some details here, my friend. I always appreciate the time. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're, uh, you, know, you ask great questions, and as I mentioned before, you, you listen really well. So it's always a pleasure to be with you, James. That's fantastic. Now, Dr. Warren, before we let you go, how do people get the book, and how do they get a hold of you online? Yes, um, the best way, um, I've uh, had an extraordinary uh, response to the audible version of the Boy Crisis book. Uh, you can get either the audible version or the paperback version online. The paperback version they're, they're putting on sale right now, so that's a really good deal. Um, but, both, but if you're, you're the type of person who has a commute or you work out at a gym, I've, I've been finding very good response to the audible version. And the, um, John Gray also, who wrote the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, also reads his portion of the book, as I, and I read my my um, twenty eight chapters of the of the Boy Crisis book <laughs> on, on, um, as well. Fantastic! Well, I appreciate you making time for us today, and uh, have yourself a wonderful afternoon. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate Real it. Pleasure. There he goes, Doctor Warren Farrell. We are going to take a time out and come back with more on the other side. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.